following this, the kazooist died. Stan, I feel like we haven't needed to oil the hinges on the Yikes door very much lately. Like, Alice in Wonderland. Boring. Cinderella. Boring. Boring, but not terribly offensive for mm. the most part. Uh, the worst thing you are likely to find is, you know, of its time misogyny and fat shaming. Mm. But, uh... I just, I just, I feel like it's time to throw that fucking door open and just bathe in the worst shit the 50s has to offer. <laughs> oh boy! Let's do Peter Pan! Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast about watching all of the Disney Animated Canon in order. For some reason, I am Talon Lee, he him. I am Foxley, she her. He's easy to Twitter bully. That's why. (laughs) We watched 1953's Peter Pan. I'm just going to apologize to anyone who does like this movie for my uh, inexpert kazoo rendition at the (laughs) beginning of this one. These these songs weren't on my list of ones I was very attached to. And if you you are a big fan of this one, I just apologize in advance because I think I'm going to ruin it. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. You probably want to just uh, pop out for a few minutes. Just just skip this episode wholesale. <laughs> Content warning. Honesty about Peter Pan. Ooh. Hey, they put that on the beginning of the movie, too. They did. They did. Did you know? Did you know that this movie is in a special category of Disney for age ranges? I did not. Is this one uh, older children rated, is it? This is... Disney have an internal rating system. Like, we have... um In, in Australia, it's, it's PCG... PG, M, M, A+, and then that's all we screen on TV. Uh, with, with G, P, G, and M, that's 90% of everything you're going to see. Yeah, yeah. They don't bother with the P and C ratings unless shows are only for, like, the littlest of babies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as it so happens, Disney has a similar set of tiering in here, and most of the Disney animated canon falls in what would we would consider G, whereas this is G+. Which is seven years and older. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, my favorite Disney is G A plus. <laughs> we'll see that one in about sixty years, <laughs> fifty years, or thereabouts. I think you did the last one, but I did quite a few plot summaries. So, do you want to try the plot in under a minute? This one has a plot. All right. <clears throat> Your time starts now. Peter Pan is a ghostly sprite character from children's stories who flits into the room of Wendy and Assorted, then (laughs) flies off with them for an evening of modest adventure, where they go to Neverland, meet an assortment of more miscellaneous, then repeat a small looping plot of pirate captain, Captain Hook, who hates Peter Pan, ensues some sort of hijink or gambit in an attempt to capture Peter Pan. He is worthless and stupid and bad and fails every time until a grand culmination where he gets Tinkerbell on his side to momentarily uh, betray Peter Pan. It comes of nothing and a fight ensues. Peter Pan wins. They bring the kids home. The end. How'd I do? Looks like you got four seconds left. Quick, throw in a joke. Why? Oh, yeah, I don't see why you should have to. The movie didn't. And, and like, I, I, I do say for a lot of these early movies, like, nothing happened, nothing happened. That's very funny. But in this case, the nature <laughs> of it is it is effectively, like, three episodes diced up. And, like, each of them just loops back on the same general point. They're not 
I mean, yeah, I guess so, in the sense that there's no... There should... You can see the negative space of the theme that should link these things together, right? But the theme just isn't there. Yeah. It's so strange. Now, we do have a central theme for this story, but we're going to get to that. We do, I just think it's not particularly in this movie, in this version of the story. I don't know how great it was in the book. I'm well informed about what the theme of this work is intended to be. Yeah. Um, But uh, I just don't think they followed through on it especially well here. I guess as a way to frame the way I'm going to talk about this movie is I'm going to be doing my best to look at this movie as this movie. I've read the book. I've watched a version of the stage play. I've read a script of the stage play. Like, there is a lot of Peter Pan out there, and I've partaken of a fair bit of it. And we'll talk about that going forward. I've seen this and Hook. Mm. And the Hook video game. Mmm. Well, you're batting all right there. Rufio! 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 Zuko! (laughs) Uh, But the thing is... Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about when it comes to this film of like, hey, this thing in the book or this wasn't true to the themes of that. And I just want to make it clear that I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm, I'm going to approach this movie in the same way that we talked about with other stuff. That this is no this is no Hamlet's hang glider kind of situation. We are just <laughs> going to look at what this movie is doing with its own stuff and how well a job, how good a job it does of it rather than, you know, nitpick about how, well... If you read this 18th century <laughs> piece of literature. Oh yeah, I definitely want to go on record that I don't give a fuck about accuracy to the source material. I give a fuck whether or not the end product is good. Yep. And I'm not saying there is an empty space for the joining theme in the sense that I feel the theme conveyed in the book should be there. I say there is an empty space for the theme because a theme is suggested and never fleshed out. How's that? Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll go into depth on that. Uh, but as usual, we're going to start by talking briefly about our existing relationships with this movie. Talon, had you seen this one before? Nope. Never? No, uh, it's... I, I, I've seen bits of it, but my memory of this movie is largely storybooks and also, um, chopped up sections on trailers at the start of other Disney rentals. Right, right. I very much remember the uh, the mother song, which it turns out only goes for like 30 seconds, but like that popped up in your wonderful world of Disney Mother's Day episode, for example. 30 interminable fucking seconds. <laughs> it's, it's not a high point for the movie, but anyway, yeah. Um, look, I'm in a similar boat. I had definitely seen this before. Uh, I can't recall if I saw the entire thing as a kid or not. I've definitely watched it since, um, but I didn't watch it interminably even if it was available to me. Uh, and I think I've now worked out that's because it's just not very good. Yeah. I don't like this movie much. No. It's it's really boring for being full of, like, sword fights and pirates and stuff that should be interesting. This is a really dull movie. Yeah, and when I said the, this, you know, piece of, you know, classic fiction or whatever, and I have read uh, Peter Pan, but part of the reason why I read Peter Pan is because if you leave me uh, as a young child in a, <laughs> in a room with a bookshelf long enough, I'm going to work my way through it. And my grandma had a copy, and the alternative was talking to my grandma. If you have little enough to do sooner or later, you read classic literature. Yep. Um, that's, that's how I've read most of the Sherlock Holmes I've read. It's how <laughs> I've read most of the classic sci-fi I've read. Uh, it's how I read all the Karl Barks DuckTales I read. It was pretty much just exclusively, uh, it was that or talk to my grandmother about how much she hated the person across the road. 
I imagine this ties back to last episode with Alice in Wonderland as well. Uh-huh. Imagine all the kids these days who will never have this problem because there's always YouTube and Forkknife and Among Us and whatever the kids are into nowadays. Is it ponies again? I hope it's ponies. Ponies was wholesome. <laughs> well... Ponies was wholesome. <laughs> the fandom... <laughs> Alright, well, okay, so neither of us is pre-attached no. uh, to this one. So, uh, you know, I guess you get a, a bunch of fresh... Uh, unvarnished opinions, uh, uncolored by nostalgia, and, uh, very brutally honest. Now, we have two segments that I suspect are going to be very small, so I'm going to ask that we do them first. Oh, alright. The eyelash watch. Uh, not a damn eyelash inside on boys that I could spot in this movie. I'm glad that that was, like, I thought surely when, when Captain Hook was buttering up Tinkerbell, Right? He's such a drama queen. I thought for sure he was going to do, like, big eyelashes, like, oh, sympathy, please. But no. Never. No. So camp, and yet not an eyelash in sight. Well, I mean, there was some slight detailing around his eyes when they had a really up-close shot of his face talking to Tinkerbell, but they weren't femme eyelashes. They were just, this would look weird if it was a solid black line. So it's got a little bit of tufting on the edges. Yep. I think we have entered the era of eyelashes are only for girls. Mm-hmm. Second to that, Swaggle Watch. Oh, I didn't know there was a Swaggle Watch. How delightful. Yeah, well, we we start. We said last uh, week we'll start... <clears throat> I forgot to pay attention. I have failed. I, I did not pay attention for Swaggle Watch. I did see Milk Carl's name in the in the opening credits. He's obviously here. But... Yep, Um, and I did look out for Swaggles. Did you spot a Swaggle? I did not, and I think that one of the notable things about that is there's a lot of stuff that doesn't, in my mind, qualify as a full Swaggle, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there was lots of stuff where clearly one of the animators was doing a lot with turning heads. In the opening sequence, uh, the father figure bends down, so his head is visible through the through the um, through the blind. Um, he stops and he does do like a full low body head close to the like you know the actual center of his gravity is way back at his butt and his whole body swings around. So you do get kind of like a really interesting, very quick but also very wide sweep of the head turning a full nice. one hundred and eighty degrees. Which don't get me wrong, based on what I know of the swaggle later on. That does seem like a Milt Carl show-off thing. But for all I know, that wasn't anything to do with Milt Carl. Well, did it tilt and rotate? Because that's what I think of as making a swaggle. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely what a swaggle is. And yeah. this is why I think, I don't think this is a swaggle, <laughs> but I do think that this counts as like a proto-swaggle. Like this is definitely some animator showing off for the pure love of it. And honestly, there's a lot of very pure animation in this. There, I mean, they've really hit their stride at this point. The backgrounds are lush as fuck. The shots are ambitious. We have, like, sweeping aerials of London with characters flying and not, like, not easy mode flying where you could just have the character hold the same pose and sort of sweep over the top of something, but, like, we're rotating, mm-hmm. we're changing the viewpoint. They're, they're having fun. We show a dog flying. <laughs> An actual attempt to <laughs> render a dog so- swimming in the air. I, I, I pin in that for the next segment. Radio. <laughs> so, so we're calling this a zero swaggle. Yes, and I, I say this because I am relying on you to be the swaggle noticer. <laughs> I forgot to look for them. Remember? I'm sure, given your acuity uh, to the subject, the second they show up, you're going to be like, because <laughs> you are very big and you are very big on animation. 
I am very big into animation, though I did not know about the swaggle as a thing until you brought it to my attention. So, yeah. there you go. Cool. It's just that then I was able to go, oh yeah, I can think of a bunch of those. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a name for a thing. Now we do, yes. Anyway, I'll try and remember. I want to get like a t-shirt with the, the codified, you know, the swaggle must tilt and rotate. Yeah. New segment uh, to this episode, which we're calling the double take, which is simply about... What was in this the first time, but you either didn't understand, or didn't notice, or only later gathered the context to fully appreciate. Um, and I don't have a lot of that, on account of I don't really remember anything about this movie. Uh, except, of course, Jesus fucking Christ, the Ike Store. Why, why, what's that you hear? Straining, <laughs> and bursting, and exploding! <laughs> and definitely becoming the central issue of this episode oh boy holy fucking shit yeah yikes 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 i have several lines of my notes that just say yikes or fucking yikes or jesus yikes what can i say but yikes oh my god yeah okay um so for those of you who haven't seen this movie uh, that warning up the front is very much about the use of Native American, I was going to say characters, but no, caricatures. Caricatures uh, is definitely right. It's, it's very much a vision of natives as portrayed in archaic British adventure material, which is to say they are savages mm -hmm. who may or may not be noble, but are definitely not smart or well-spoken or characters in any sense. Oh, wowie. It, it, it's really, like, academically, it's quite interesting because you have the original corpus of text from J.M. Barry, who was British, then reincorporated through the work of Walt Disney, who was American, and both are racist. We just have an atrocious goddamn history with the subject. Yeah. <laughs> like... Both of their countries, both of the individual men. It's it's just a whole minefield of this is uh if I wanted to shorthand explain to someone the tropes that that make portrayal of Native American characters so shitty uh throughout classic literature, you could just show them this and be like, This is all of them. Every fucking trope. The the only ones they miss are the ones that you couldn't mention to a child. <laughs> Even then, they border on them. They really did. Like, Tiger Lily is... Like, this is a movie for seven-year-olds, and only seven-year-olds and older, where somehow they managed to elbow weasel in the whole, ah, uh, forgive the term, Navajo princess stereotype. You sure did. Of the, of the weirdly hypersexual native character who is seductive and able to, like, inflict wiles on people, which... <laughs> It's Peter Pan! <laughs> it's also, like, totally detached from who this character is intended to be. Like, our experience with this character up until now has been a... I mean, okay, in as much as we have an experience with this character, because she does not speak. She has no lines. Yep. She is a rescue doll, then a, uh, a servant to her father, then a sex object. And it's... It's upsetting. Ah, uh, I had definitely forgotten that this was ever in the movie. <laughs> I, d I was not prepared to watch this and have in my brain, like, literally go, that's a sexy dance. That is an attempt 
to render in 1950s style a sexy dance. Mm. That is fucked up. Well, I mean, a sexy tribal dance. Ah! <laughs> it's very... Oh, it's everything you want it to not be. Mm-hmm. Plus, we have the, the huge man-woman character. Yep. Just, like, full-on mixing it up with just every negative stereotype you can think of. Yep. Uh, Casual use of the word squaw. That might be an offensive word. I don't know. I wouldn't know because this is the kind of shit that I learned about these cultures from, which, as you could tell, in hindsight, it doesn't know dick nothing. I I have had it described to me as an extremely offensive word. Cool. Um, cool, cool, cool. Such as you would not repeat in polite conversation. Oh, fucking great. But uh, somehow in, in the stereotype, it just became... The word for woman! <laughs> cool! Good times. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what else have we got? They all speak like children. Broken sentences. How? Uh, ugh. Like, the, ugh. the idea of the, I didn't know that was a thing until yeah, now. Yeah, Um. Also, I did have it in my head growing up that Native Americans burned people at the stake as a form of execution. And... As an adult, I look back on that and go, what the fuck am I thinking of? No, that's what we did to witches. <laughs> like, that's a thing that Europeans did. I've never, ever seen any media since growing up that ever mentioned anything to do with burning people at the stake in Native American places, which makes me realize that, oh, fuck, no, everyone I know who said that is just repeating this yeah. movie. Well, not specifically this movie. I mean, it's in every, every negative villain group portrayal of these people. And I mean, it's easy to imagine because what's the stereotypical image of a, uh, forgive me, of an Indian camp? That has been put in your brain by media since you were, since you were tiny. Yeah, it's this. It's this. Oh. And, well, the thing is- This makes me feel gross for seeing all the stuff that was put into my brain. And the thing with this is, think just 30 seconds on from burning people at the stake. What do you need for that? Um, you need wood. You need fuel. Yeah. You need, to, you need to burn a shitload of fuel to kill one person. You were in the middle of the desert. A thing I understand that is done, and this is because of other, definitely not a documentary series, Longmire, is that it was not uncommon for Native Americans who had captured someone who they didn't want to bother keeping around to just stake them out in the desert. Just, like, put a stake in the ground and tie them to it and fuck off. And the desert will take care of everything for you. I, the the idea of, oh no, we're going we're gonna to use a lot of resources for the very public form of execution... In a location, like, if you're in England and you're surrounded by forests on all sides, that makes some sense. If you're in Arizona, <laughs> what the shit are you doing wasting firewood? Are you proposing that burning at stake is a fundamentally privileged act because it requires such an expenditure of resources and you do it basically for show? Yeah, kind of. Interesting proposition. I think I am. But, but, but. you have neatly touched on how... One of the themes of this movie, and one of the elements of this movie, the Yikes Door component, chains neatly into another part of the Yikes Door, and what I would argue is this movie's central message. Is it all women are jealous bitches? Women hate women. Yeah, that's evident in every part of this movie. Tinkerbell hates Wendy from the second she exists. Wendy is nice to Tinkerbell, I'll give her that. Yep. But Wendy is a fucking pillow. But also, Wendy's a child. 
They make a point repeatedly. It's true. Wendy's a child. And she only, she learns to hate women by the end of the movie because Tiger, seeing Tiger Lily uh, get a fucking comic boner out of Peter Pan turns her into a jealous bitch too. The mermaids are jealous of her the second she appears. To violent ends. To violent, yeah. Everyone Wendy meets in this world immediately tries to kill her. And I feel like the movie didn't address that often enough. Yeah. Like, and every fucking person by the end of this she should be like no it wasn't a fantastic adventure i'd rather think it was terrible i'd like to grow up because maybe i might not meet a vast array of people who immediately want to murder me speaking of very british voices was that alice again i feel like it was the same voice and uh we're getting a word on the wire that yes it was yeah all right okay i'm not surprised at all thank you for our remote correspondence imdb.com <laughs> appreciate you <clears throat> yeah no, um, that, that was, that was her, and in fact she was still, still doing the voice roles of Wendy Darling and Alice up until 2002. Oh, and all the supplementary media and stuff, eh? She's in Kingdom Hearts, isn't She's she? She's in Kingdom Hearts. Oh boy! <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Yeah. But, on the bright side, as Wendy Darling and Tiger Lily have shown, this might be where the tradition of the Kyrie arrives. A.K.A. The lamp. <laughs> oh, I mean, Wendy certainly talks a lot. That's true. Though I did find it interesting that they, they open with her, you know, uh, talking too much and hilariously uh, she, she gets made fun of for that because girls talk too much. Oh. Um, And then she just doesn't do it anymore. Like she barely talks for a lot of the film after that. Uh-huh. That's, uh, that's kind of upsetting. On the note of... Uh... Uh, on the note of like this this lamp characterization because we're still in the yike store here um consider how little stuff wendy does that is wendy expressing agency to want a thing to do a thing it is oh god no peter shows up and says we're going to neverland yep subsequently she goes then he takes her to see the mermaids then she's dragged along to the uh tiger lily incident then she's um dragged along to the awful tribal dance moment and then the older lady uh upsets her and she leaves and at that point that is the only yeah, point agency. in the movie i can find where wendy is presented with a choice and she engages with it thereafter everything else is other characters transporting her around and even there i would say she was transported around by the by the older lady being mean uh i will know but she made a choice she was clearly welcome to stay. She chose not to. And from that, she decided that they needed to go home. Yeah. This was an episode of agency for her character. Absolutely. That was lovely for her. But in storytelling terms, it is also that everything around her is moving her around into the right locations to do the things. Oh, yeah. But that's happening to everybody in this movie. Kind of, I yeah. I mean, is it not convenient that as soon as they arrive in Neverland, uh, the boys are like, we want to go <coughs> hunt Indians <laughs> and... Wendy's like, I want to go meet mermaids alone with Peter Pan. And uh, they are both directly brought back to the same place to proceed with events mm -hmm. uh, from there. Like, it's, it's you know, things are proceeding as they must. It's not a complex story. Uh, some more bite-sized nuggets out of the Yike store from me, if you've time for them. Uh, was that that one uh, pirate that was, like, clearly an Arab caricature? Yep. That guy was interesting. Um... <laughs> Big nose, twirly mustache, pointy shoes, little fez knife in the teeth. Yeah, that guy was probably meant to be a Turk. 
Yeah, actually, yeah, Turk definitely is the, uh, the look, stereotype that, there. That is the stereotype <laughs> we would expect to see on someone's funny logo for a for a uh, a local kebab shop. That is not what it's it's not good. Um also, uh just some of the language choice. Uh like describing kidnapping Wendy as shanghaiing her. I yeah, noted that one down as well. Just slip that in there. Uh-huh. Nice, nice uh-huh. work. Yeah. Um, cool. That in that uh when it comes to dealing with the Indians, it was referred to as go capture one as opposed to go hunt or go find. It was just like they're they're a thing to be caught. Yeah, the dialogue goes thus. The Lost Boys want to go hunting. A shitty little Victorian gentleman in the making says, I should rather like to see one of the Aborigines <laughs> which is whew, that's a word. Yeah. Um then Peter turns this into, alright, go capture an Indian. And, like, at some point this turned from, I'd like to meet this thing, but I'm still shitty for treating like a fucking tourist attraction. (laughs) And then our hero takes that and turns it into, yeah, hunt them like animals. Jesus Uh fucking Christ. And, of course, listeners, I want to share with you a moment that you would never get unless I did so. Which is, in the moment when they're looking at the map... Captain Hook says, Cannibal Cove, and I hear from across the room, Fox audibly go, yikes. <laughs> it's because there's an illustration on the map yeah! for Cannibal Cove, uh-huh. which helpfully depicts <laughs> the the racial stereotype we blessedly did not get to encounter during this movie. But mm-hmm. like, fuck if they didn't draw a, a pot-bellied, long-legged, big-nosed, tall-haired, bone-through-the-nose fucking... Oh. It's a witch doctor. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's nasty shit. Uh, does uh, does ass-shaming fairies go it in the icon section? Right. That's under my women hate women. Because... Women hate women. That includes themselves. Yep. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Tinkerbell catches sight of her reflection in a mirror and uh, after preening for a little bit is horribly upset by the fact that she has an ass. Worse, it's hips. She's looking at her hips and going, oh no, these are too wide. These are too wide, yeah. She and- like takes a measurement and compares it to the rest of her body. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> it, it is upsetting to look at when you realize you are talking about a woman the size of my thumb that this movie goes out of its way to fat shame (laughs) it's so strange oh boy that was probably like a joke for women at the time Uh (laughs) Uh, trimming down your hips am i right ladies yeah even this lady doesn't like the way her hips sit you're all normal for being too fat just fucking dreadful shit I kind of want to yikes on the dad too, because he's just a total prick. I I went this and that on the dad. I I have some stuff for him in in whatever land, but I do like yes, definitely. There's some yikes shit there. I wish to be charitable, but it and you know it's a very of its time kind of depiction, but it just really does boil down to a man is within his rights to be blustering and unreasonable. And it is his wife's job to fix that and smooth it over with everyone and tend to him like a stupid giant baby. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess it's better than Bambi, which is just absentee dads are perfect. Don't question them. Well, yeah. And the cousin to that <laughs> is that um, in in this situation, um, you are in, in <clears throat> the cousin. The cousin effect there is how many times did anyone say we need to get home? I miss my dad. 
No, because they don't like him. They, yeah. I think that's made very clear in the opening of the movie. Yeah, just fucking God. I would have had more sympathy for the dog as well. And uh, by the way, that's that's the main thing that pushes me over on the asshole because he puts the dog outside and then he says, it's not personal. It's blatantly personal. He's kicking the dog outside and then lying to her. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I was going to ask if, if that's, like, you know, terrible dog handling. Like, I, I understand, like, roping up a dog at its collar overnight has some uh, potential risks or something like that. Look, it's it's cartoon dog okay. handling. You never handle an adult dog by the scruff of their neck. It's very dangerous to something that's not a puppy. Uh, baby animals can be scruffed with some exceptions, like ferrets. Adult animals cannot. Okay. So you do not drag, like, a bulky-ass fucking shepherd-looking dog around by its neck when it is an adult. But it's a cartoon shorthand. People are allowed to do it. Uh, tethering. Eh. I I have had friends tell me very bad stories of dog injuries when they were tethered. It's, uh, so yeah, you know, I wouldn't do it. It's probably very period accurate for yeah. Victorian England because, you know, people were just more chill with animal cruelty back then. <laughs> <laughs> also, the dog is a fucking genius, so I feel like oh, you yeah, should put point. her outside anyway. I mean, yeah, you should you should try and get her a contract, probably. Really, you should be careful about annoying that dog, because that dog can clearly find a way to get into your home and kill you if it actually wants to. <laughs> I like that. Um, I was very cross. I didn't remember that they, like, sprinkled the dog. Yeah, with, with and they didn't get to come. On the way out, like, take the dog, man! How do you not bring the dog? Yeah, exactly. Ah, disappointment. I have one final thing in my section of the Yikes door that it's, it's a small thing. Every single time the movie made me whisper to myself, fuck you, Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, he's a shit. I took a note and I stopped counting after I got to nine times in his first scene. <laughs> I, um, yeah, he's, he's a horrible person. And I, to me, there is a much more interesting story in this of the girl who idolized and believed in Peter Pan enough to make him real to everyone around her, discovering that he's a shit and becoming disillusioned. And maybe that's why children choose to grow up. Because if you turn someone into an idol, they might show up and be a total prick. Um, but that's not what we're here for. And even though she is a bit mad at him after the <clears throat> score incident, uh, she just forgives him in the end because he saved her life and that's all that matters when you're a boy around a girl. It's classic adventure bullshit at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what he treats you like as long as he's willing to save you from pirates for his own glory. There is a quote which I first learned from a Less Than Jake music video and subsequently got put um, in my attention sphere uh, when I realized that I had nibblings that were approaching their adolescence, which is... The day the child realizes that the adults around him are fallible, he becomes an adolescent. The day he forgives them, he becomes an adult. And when he forgives himself, he becomes wise. <laughs> there is a beautiful story in Peter Pan that could have been, and instead we got this. Yeah, I don't love it. <sighs> but yeah, I, I think you're right. Peter deserves his very own section of the Yikes door, because like, Women Hate Women is, is its own section. Yep. But uh, also, Peter is just, he's horrid to everyone. He's not a nice person. He's not even a good person. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, I mean, it 
I think it's deliberate. I think he's supposed to be immature to the point of not really caring about the people around him. Uh-huh. But, you know, he doesn't have an arc based on that or anything. Nope. He just continues to treat everyone around him like they exist for his enjoyment. Especially Tinkerbell. I can't decide whether I hate the way Tinkerbell treats other people more than the way other people treat Tinkerbell. She is an object to them. They grab her and use her for things. Yep. Ah. And um, Tink- Tinkerbell... P- <clears throat> Peter has no access to operate on the world around him beyond violence. That's literally the only tool in his toy box. And it is reflected in how he treats Tink. It's reflected... Like, the one time this movie actually needs him to be violent, he's pretty good at it. And, you know, fine, great. Fighting a murderous pirate, who I will note, this movie does actually make a point that he did cut off the hand and chuck it into the sea. That's wild. That doesn't sound like the Peter we meet later in the movie, does it? No. It's a good thing that was able to happen in his backstory. I will say he he also has trickery in his arsenal. He's not great at it. But it's all hurtful and petty. Oh, yeah, sure. Everything he does is hurtful and petty, but it's uh, not quite violence, I don't think. How about cruelty? Yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the way he sword fights, like, I remember very keenly watching violence growing up. And having these moments of realizing when I was watching someone who wanted a fight to last longer versus seeing actual fights that were meant to end quickly. And Peter Pan is playing with his fucking food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a really boring uh, hero. Well, okay. The matchup between him and Hook is really boring. Yeah. If one guy can fly, then you don't really have an exciting combat scene unless the other guy can do something about that. Yep. He's just bullying Hook for the most part. Who he's already maimed. <laughs> Who he's already maimed. Which... And like, Hook's not a good guy. No! I don't want to be defending him, but no. like, our hero is also just a butthole. <laughs> yes. <sighs> so <sighs> that's that's all I got for the yikes door, but we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Okay, more yikes at the end of the show, everyone. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on then to the the meat of this episode, I guess. Uh, did did you have any you know big big picture thinky stuff to share about this movie? So I have two bits of big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the f- two well two potential threads, and I looked at them both, and I decided that one of them I wanted to discard, which is J. M. Barry, the author of Peter Pan, partly because this isn't really about that. This isn't about what J.M. Barry's life was like. This isn't about what the movie's about or anything like that. It's just, this movie is based on a book made by a guy and that guy has controversies surrounding him that at best, he's a bit of a total weirdo. The problem is that- He's, he's well weird. Yeah. And like that, the nicest interpretation of this guy is he was a super weirdo. And I don't want to spend 20 minutes litigating and sourcing and content warning the shit out of this stuff based on this- person writing 150 years ago who may just have been a weirdo so i figure we could talk about jm barry but i don't want to we're also not going to bring anything new to that conversation we don't have information that has not already been contributed to this we don't have opinions that mean anything to this Hmm. uh i hope he wasn't a sicko i'm not gonna tell you he was or wasn't yeah don't don't get your sourcing on this from us yeah now, the other thing is, and I have to I have to pull the trigger on this one, because I have been loading it for three movies now. Bobby Driscoll. Right, this is the uh, live-action boy actor that I uh, had minor beef with, let's say, who was the least upsetting part of Melody Time, let's say. 
he was also the lead boy child in uh, Song of the South. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's where I've seen him before. Yep. And to his credit, this kid has a lot of uh, movie and TV credits to his name. So this kid was like a recurring serial Disney actor. Yes, he was. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to be a Disney child actor. That's not a good thing to be. The very real and sad story of Bobby Driscoll, which I'm going to preface with a content warning for abandonment, uh, family estrangement, drugs, alcohol, and eventual death. Bobby Driscoll started as a child actor at the age of seven. He was the lead actor in Song of the South, the voice of Peter Pan, and was bounced from his contract by Disney a week after Peter Pan went into theatres because he had just hit puberty and was getting acne. Jeez. This was treated as a valid reason to void his contract because he wasn't living up to his end of the bargain. So the voice of Peter Pan was literally screwed out of his livelihood because he grew up. He was 15. Well, that's, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, that is some irony. Before this point, he was literally a golden child of the Disney lot. He would be seen on tours, he would go around, he would meet with people. Walt would frequently hang out with him personally. Walt often referred to Driscoll with great affection and referred to him as the living embodiment of my own youth. Cool. And then screw this kid, he's a teenager now. Yeah. Um, he was perceived as a Disney kid actor for the rest of his life. That meant that he didn't get any acting credits that paid the bills. He would often do Mm -hmm. guest spots on TV shows. One of his last appearances was on Rawhide as just generic character of the week. Um, when he went on to higher education, he couldn't make friends because his entire childhood had been completely screwed up by being on the Disney lots all the time. Um, and that then led to getting into drugs, and that then led to unstable relationships. He eloped to Mexico. He had three children with that wife and separated, uh, leaving those children and functionally disappearing for a while. He fell in. He, he then fled to New York, where he fell in with Andy Warhol's art community, and where he was, he was genuinely encouraged. That by sounds the, like the best thing that's happened to him so far. Yeah, by the artists in Greenwich Village who actually said, hey, maybe acting's not for you. We're doing some experimental film projects. You might want to get involved in that. But also just encouraging him to paint. Um, but unfortunately, he couldn't stick with it because at that point, he was very heavily entwined in substance abuse. And let me tell you, we did not have good services for that kind of thing back in 1961. <laughs> and whatever America had was almost certainly worse. <laughs> <laughs> He's also probably hugely in debt at this uh, point, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Um, he has been involved in numerous crimes. People would taunt him on the street for being uh, the failed Disney child actor, which led to him at one point going to uh, getting arrested for threatening some people with a gun because they sat across the street and made fun of him while he washed his car, which again, like not good, but also also fuck those people. This guy is definitely under a lot of pressure um, and nothing is helping him. When Driscoll's mother uh, sought to contact him because of his dying father to try and get them to meet together one last time. She contacted Disney Studios and said, hey, do you have any final information? And that led to a chain of events that eventually led to them finding Bobby Driscoll because they found his fingerprints in the coroner's office. Oh, cool. Where they found that he had died in New York a year earlier and he had been filed as a John Doe at the age of 31. Well, that's bleak as fuck. His death was first reported in 1971 
as a human interest story due to the re-release of Song of the South. Bobby Driscoll's life was pretty much a tragedy from the moment he started puberty, and it was purely as a result of valuing an image of children and absolutely not valuing children. When asked about it himself, he said, I was carried on a silver platter and then dumped in the garbage. This is the stuff that sticks in my mind when people want to talk about, oh, old Uncle Walt, you know, the magical world, the futurism. Yeah, I mean, you've remarked before that you're pretty sure Walt Disney hates children, and yeah, I think Walt Disney has an imaginary version of what had an imaginary version of what children should be like in his head, and uh, anything that did not square with that, which is real children with personalities and shit. The connective tissue here is that the girl in that situation in uh, Melody Times, who the little oh, girl, yes. um, that was Catherine Beaumont, who went on to become Alice and and uh, Wendy, and she has been a she was a successful Disney actor for the whole time because when she hit puberty, it didn't stop her voice from being perfect for the role, and she was still happy to act child mm. roles. Mm. 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 So just everything about this sucks. Yeah, it's gross and terrible. That was atrocious. Kind of an aside to the movie, but definitely not something that should go without remark. Deeply and fundamentally important, I think, to the narrative the movie itself wants to put forward about the wonderful whimsy of not growing up and of childhood stories. Yeah, yeah, not at all with that. If someone had written that in a plot, like the treatment of him and the fact that he was Peter Pan, you'd be like, it's a bit on the nose, isn't it? How heavy-handed do you want to be with this allegory? Yeah, it, it (laughs) it is comedically blunt. Ugh. But, you know, Walt Disney, not a subtle man. No. And and that was, like, personal actions from him. Like, he's the one who made the order to cut the contract. It wasn't like a system. It was like, oh, old Walt's hands are tied here. No, it's just Walt Disney. Like, yeah, the kid's 16. Fuck him. I mean, he was a... He was the archetypical capitalist piece of shit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I fucking bet he did. So, want to move on to something that isn't this bleak? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. The meat of this movie for me is just generally dealing with the the theme or the failure to follow through on the theme. Like, like I said, I didn't actually read the book. I've not seen the play. I'm not familiar with the original work except by its adaptation. Though I bet you know probably Peter Pan's best line. Uh. To die would be a great adventure. Was that where that's from? Yeah. That's Peter Pan being willing to die to save Wendy. It's pretty cool. That's fucking cool. Should put that in there. <laughs> yeah. Mm, this pan is a butthole, though. <laughs> An absolute tool. But like, to my understanding, this is supposed to be a whimsical story about what fun it would be to not grow up, but then ultimately realizing that you have to and accepting that. Is that the essence of the the story? <sighs> I guess. Because that's not what I get from this story. Yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to get from this story, except for the what fun it would be to never grow up. Uh. Period. Just, that's it, we're done. Probably. Nope. I guess. I don't know, but then we'll decide we have to go home anyway. But no one really, like, matures through this. Wendy kind of does, but not in the way that would be meaningful. Because the meaningful thing would be to to recognize and and reconcile the difference between the fantasy version of Peter Pan and the experience of Butthole Pan. And the added element that, like, she is she is introduced to Neverland with the idea of, oh, you'll be our mum. Yeah! And, and she never she never like explicitly rejects that. Right, yeah, that's down in my writing too. In one of the very first sentiments we get out of her is that she does not want to grow up. She says that, but I don't want to grow up. And then, like, 
not five minutes later, you can come and be our mum. All right, sounds fine. I'm already bossing every- She's already a mum. She's already grown up. It's so annoying. You you might have heard me dunking on the webcomic girlfriend. Yeah. Where, yeah. where, where what the average webcomic protagonist wants is effectively a mum who will follow yeah. you around, play video games with you, and clean up your messes. I mean, the essence of of 90s girlfriends uh was to be if you were not a a strong female character action girl trope factory uh then like if you were a comedy girlfriend or a sitcom girlfriend or a just a mum character in any real setting you were just you were the straight one you were everybody's mum yep if there was a one girl on an otherwise all boy team she was the straight one she was the buzzkill yep She was the girl, but more importantly, she was the mom. And also, she'd be hot. Oh yeah, hot. Definitely. Absolutely hot. Tits the mom. Tits the mom. Oh boy. <laughs> that uh, puts things into an interesting semiotic space. Yep. But yeah, I, I'm disappointed by Wendy in this movie because she, at no point, seems like a child who doesn't want to grow up. She said... The sequel they made to this is about her overly serious daughter who is already done with being a child and very much wishes to grow up, thank you. But I feel like that's pretty much the Wendy we have here. I I don't think they portrayed the character that they stated she was. Oh, yeah, and this is one of the wonderful tricks of Disney. By becoming essentially wallpaper to our culture, they can <laughs> tell us now what they think those movies were about. And we... Most of the time, who's going to go back and go, hang on, is Peter Pan really about that? Go back, spend 80 minutes of their life on this shit and go, (laughs) actually, you know, thinking about it, that advertising copy lied to me. Yeah, well, that's why I'm curious to know if that's, if that was indeed the the text of the original. Like, is, is it the movie failing to follow through or is it me not knowing what this is meant to be about in the first place? So I feel a little bad um, because I don't remember much of Wendy from the book. I just feel like a bit of a tool because, you know, there was all this pirate and like fighting stuff going on. And so there should have been the good bits. Yeah. And the most key moment of the play isn't about Wendy at all. It's about Tinkerbell. Oh my God. Yes. That's, I mean, okay. Uh, just, just going to briefly dwell on Wendy for one last second here, which is also the, the idea of her changing her perspective and realizing that growing up matters and is important. Uh, is also completely broken because the point of the story where she pivots and is like, all right, maybe I'm done with Neverland, maybe I want to go home, isn't about that. It's about being jealous of another girl for being close to Peter Pan. And I just, ah. Well, okay, and being told that she can't join in and have fun with everyone else because she tries to do the uh, war dance (laughs) uh, along with all the other characters, but Mm -hmm. uh, is told she can't participate for no apparent reason. Well, she's got to gather all the firewood. Yeah, but there's no, like, she's not singled out for any reason that we can tell. Tiger Lily can dance. Yeah. And and the other uh, engine women can dance. Uh. But Wendy can't. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it, it feels like if you were trying to tell a story with a through line or some kind of character arc, you would you would put that break from I'm not having fun anymore uh, as an event that was was related to, I don't know, maybe the constant life endangerment, maybe the fact that everyone here hates her. I don't know. There's a lot of things you could base it on. But 
women hate women is not it, it undermines any kind of arc that you could see there and i feel like that's a big ass fumble if i can take a step further from this please women hating women is one of the things about the world at growing up represents she is literally being told by this movie's narrative that by the way, this is what growing up entails, dealing with the fact that every woman hates you, and you need to fucking deal with it. Well, yes, but if that's- if they're intending to say that, then don't have her realize that growing up is a thing she needs to do, and- and actually this world kind of sucks, because then that's a shitty thing to do. Reject that. Maybe. Deep down in her heart of hearts, Wendy hates women too. Well, I mean, <laughs> Wendy probably hates Wendy because as we've discussed, women hate other women and also themselves. And Wendy has every reason to hate the Native American woman. She was awful. <laughs> Tinkerbell too? Tinkerbell tried to get her killed twice? Yeah, yeah. Like you said, everyone has tried to kill Wendy at this point. It's like, uh, Tinkerbell tried to kill her, the Lost Boys tried to kill her, only because Tinkerbell said so, so I guess we'll give her a pass. Mermaids try to kill her, pirates try to kill her, Indians try to kill her, it's just everything. Yeah, it's just terrible. everyone hates Wendy, and like that. Maybe you could do something clever with that in the sense of, like, she already knows in her heart that she is grown up, so it's like all of Neverland is rejecting her. That's cool. That Yeah, that's quite interesting. You do something good with that. Not gonna do that in this fucking movie. No. Nope, that's not what it's here for. Alright then. Ah, they just, it's a real eat your cake and have it too kind of situation. They just, they, they want to do all the fun adventure, never grow up stuff and just, and that's all. Yep. (laughs) Boy, wasn't it a fun adventure. And with a jump, Jack was free. Right. Let's talk about Tinkerbell. (laughs) Cause that's, I haven't seen the play, haven't read the book, uh, haven't encountered the original source material, but I fucking know that if you believe in fairies, clap your hands to save Tinkerbell. Yeah. Is a centerpiece of this production. It's, I, I, I get why you can't do that as an audience participation number in an animated film, but could you not have done something? Could you, did you really think the best choice was to do nothing? <laughs> nothing at all? Just Tink saves Peter Pan and she's maybe in danger, but... We've now faded back to the pirate ship, and they just show up and everything's fine. (laughs) And you do see her later, so you know she's not dead. Yeah, no, she's there. That's the thing. It's just, it is with a jump, Jack was free. It was, but Tinkerbell was fine, so I guess we were concerned about nothing. It's so empty. I mean, she's the only character in this who gets a fucking arc of any kind. It should have meant something. I am weirdly fond of Tinkerbell after watching this movie. And I always thought Tinkerbell was awful, but now having seen the movie and seen the world Tinkerbell exists in, this sort of knife-wielding defiance at reality is like the only acceptable response to being so abused. She is treated like garbage. Yeah. yeah I'd be mad if I was Tinkerbell too. I mean, she's kind of a jealous bitch, but I I wouldn't feel the need to be nice to anyone if they just manhandled me around all the time for their own benefits. And everyone and everything in this universe that we see is interested in having Peter and taking him away from her. If you are, if, if, if he's all you've got, you are living in a land of predators who are going to snaffle up what you have the second they can. I mean, I don't know why she likes him in the first place. He's awful to her as well. I 
I, I'm not going to say I want to know their backstory together because I don't. Please don't tell me. Yeah, it's... But, like, why is she so attached to him in the first place? He's a troll. It's all King of the Hill nonsense. It's oh. like she's got the... She's got the <laughs> She's got the pan. And now that's it. And, <laughs> by the way, if you want to talk about cool backstories, I'm sitting here every time you use the word pan to shorthand to him, I'm thinking, like, Albert Martian's the great god Pan of like, oh fuck me, that's a cool story. <laughs> you're gonna say you're, you're retrofitting Dionysus into all of this? Uh, <laughs> Specifically, the overly sarcastic productions Dionysus, who's cute. Well, the great god Pan's Pan is uh, what if the chaos god that lives outside of all reality is a woman and she gets married because she's bored? So, oh, cool. <laughs> that sounds like a great visual novel. <laughs> Am I going straight to nerd jail for suggesting that The Great God Pan should be a visual novel? No, I think that's a great idea. All right, I get cracking on character designs. All right, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I think I thoroughly exhausted my whinging about this movie failing to have any kind of, like, theme. It's just a bunch of adventure comics bullshit. There is a notion we use when we're talking about storytelling and story structure, which is the idea of narrative momentum, that when a scene... That when a scene leaves a character, that character is considered to be doing what they were doing or initiating in the last moment you saw them. Yeah. So at the end of Evangelion, the end of that story is Shinji sitting on a beach and that's it. Oh, you mean the bad movie. Uh, like a bad bad example. Bad choice. Um, uh, I, I'm going to edit this. Um, so, so at the end of Alice in Wonderland, she is awake in her own home space and she is going home after having had a nap and the narrative momentum is pushing her towards that point you don't then go oh by the way she got into a sword fight on the way home and that's what the story's about (laughs) in this multiple scenes are cut away from and then nothing is done with the state of the thing the way things were when they left and i can also understand like animation is hard you know it's difficult to do these things but right. it creates this arrested feeling throughout the whole story. Animation is hard, but they were showing off in other places in this movie. Yeah. If you can't if you can't animate the bits that are required to to hang the story together in a satisfying way, then I don't think you should be wasting your time on pseudo proto swaggles <laughs> or fucking mermaids and their lustrous hair. You don't get to do the fun shit if you don't do the work. And I guess the other thing there is that I am now bullying uh, one department for the failings of another. <laughs> Bullying long dead animators. Yeah. Yes, who were also the, like, undisputedly the masters in their field. But. Yeah. And we all, we can say masters because they were all men. Or men. Animation is a white man. <laughs> and he loves planes. And capitalism. Now fetch me another glass of cigarette. Anyway, enough of that bullshit. We're going into the lightning round. Which we're not calling the lightning round anymore because it's always very slow and takes a long time. So, we're giving it a new name in honor of being just whatever shit we want to call out before this thing's over. Welcome to Whateverland. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll start. She has the same face as Alice, and her mother has the same face as Cinderella. These, <laughs> these assholes only have one face. For women. For women, yes. Well, I mean, one for child women and one for adult women, but that's all you need, I find, generally. Well, okay. I mean, Tinkerbell has a distinctive face. I'll give her that. Also, Catherine from Sleepy Hollow. Oh, totally. But she already had Cinderella's face. Yeah. She's a Cinderella gutter. Cinderella anyway, tore off someone's face? I can't wait till our, our girl characters start looking like individuals. 
far in the future, I'll have you know Aurora looks very different to any of these women. That's nice to know. Wendy, what are you doing telling these boys stories? That's the problem, not me establishing boundaries and expecting my children to respect them. Right, yeah. My boy children took my things and used them in their game, which they clearly didn't know they weren't supposed to do, but somehow I'll find a way to make this their sister's fucking fault. Which dick. Like, and and, and by the way, Dad is well within his rights here to be upset that his stuff... That yeah, he might have absolutely. thought, there's no reason I should tell the kids not to play with my with my front shirt and my cufflinks. Why would they bother? It's an understandable family moment of an innocent action causing a genuine grievance to a parent. And why are you blaming Wendy? Somehow it becomes Wendy's fault. It is such bullshit. Hey, um, do you know what the tonic is that all three children need to take an equal amount of Every night, apparently, because that's upsetting. But also, I think it's probably something from actual history in that period. So my memory from the book is that it's cod liver oil, Ah. which is just, hey, we're not getting enough vitamins because we're Victorian children and the air is full of smoke. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's uh, that's got your omega-3s and all that shit, doesn't it? Probably. I don't know how efficacious cod liver oil actually is. I don't understand why Hook is traumatized by the crocodile. This is definitely a little nitpicky thing, but like the crocodile didn't harm him. But the crocodile ate his hand, but only because it was cut off by a demon boy and fed to the crocodile. The crocodile doesn't really threaten Hook. What I will give you is that the crocodile, he mentions that the crocodile has been hunting it ever since. And if you're a sailor in open sea, uh, which yeah, is so. not where crocodiles go. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Finding a crocodile at your window <laughs> regularly <laughs> Is going to fuck you up. I guess so. But also, you're on a ship. It's not like it can get you. But at the same time, that's scary. You're being hunted. Being stalked has an effect on people. Okay, okay. (laughs) I just feel like it's one of the least upsetting things that could happen to you in this horrible world. I was really weirded out as to why it... Like, I I had memories of, like, a vivid scene of it eating uh, eating a clock, and that's why it ticked. Yeah, yeah. It pukes the clock back up briefly at the end when it's chasing Hook. But it doesn't actually mention, like, why it got the clock. Does it not? Does it? I thought they talked, uh, Spee offhandedly says, but then he ate that clock, so he, you know, as you say, he warns you. Oh my god, they, as you knowed it, ah! Oh, yeah, 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 they totally do a tell-don't-show backstory for Hook and the hand and the crocodile and all that shit. They gotta keep this thing moving at a clip, I guess. It's it's super annoying, actually, because they, I mean, if you think about it, they have a character in this movie whose job it is to tell other people shit about Peter Pan and cool stuff he's done. Why not just have her talk about how he cut off the hand and fed it to the crocodile? I, Weird. I don't, like... From this we can extrapolate that Smee is a Disney princess. You and your... You just want everyone to be a Disney princess, and I hate it. I'll tell you what, Smee and Captain Hook do have that sort of humoring my drama queen boyfriend vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I mentioned last week that we're very much launching into the era of camp uh, Disney villains, and uh, Hook is is definitely one of the one of the pillars of that. It's also a this this is good. This might sound a little weird, but the impression I have is that Smee is like five to ten years older than Hook. Yeah. Which, I don't know if that's intended, but he feels like it. Which, when you throw in the boyfriend's vibe, also just like, you know, well, he's a tool, but he is beautiful, and he makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, I, in the live-action remake, they'll probably do that. They'll probably say that Smee was gay all along in this uh, one. Genius representation. Tiger lilies aren't American. Ah! <laughs> 
Tiger lilies are from East Asia and Russia. Right. Okay. So they're so... absolutely a thing that a that a, uh, an English man would know about. Well, I mean, Neverland is definitely a pastiche of areas, but if it's not from your home, you white man author, or their home, them horrible caricatures of Native Americans, uh, then yeah, that's some kind of bullshit. That just makes you. It makes it very obvious that she is a mishmash of exoticism tropes. Yeah. Which is, you know, it only compounds the attitudes present here. Which also, Tiger Lily is a rad name. It is, yes. Like, I imagine like a high femme kind of, you know, slashy knife fighter character called Tiger Lily. That's cool. Imagine, if you will, a pro wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I... Could have at least tried to make the Lost Boys into characters, couldn't you? <laughs> Just, I mean, I'm not saying that you should have had Rufio and Thudbutt in there or anything, but like, you know, you had the chance to make one or two people, and instead they're just a gaggle of idiot children, a couple of twins and a fat joke. Which would be really easy to imagine as a reasonable representation of children, if you fucking hated children. <laughs> hate children. Does it- I'm assuming that they were described in the original as wearing animal skins, and this was turned into animal onesies because it seemed less disgusting than, than just a bunch of filthy unwashed children in random bits of animal flesh. I haven't read the books in like 30 years, so <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, just a guess. I'm not expecting an answer. Wendy well actually is the hand that gets cut off. I like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it actually wasn't a bad choice. Ooh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think it was a bad choice because it was used to establish that she was the authority on these stories. Um, the whole narrated opening to this, I don't know if this is how the original happened either, but there's like, there's all this sort of implied uh, uh, story that has preceded this point and we're jumping into it midway and like, well, okay, I guess. If you say so, face disembodied narrator guy, okay. You you mention Peter Pan as if I know who that fucking is? I guess I do. <sighs> yeah, that was weird. Um, man, following the leader is the most useless song break in a... Ah, fucking... Why? Why? You remember how we watched Snow White and we were like, why is this a song? Why is there a song here? Okay, I get why there's a song here. Because they wanted to, like, preach at children to wash their fucking hands. Like, it's just the most pointless song break for the most awful song. Ugh. Related to Follow the Leader, they're getting better at water. Oh, they've been... <laughs> they've been improving their water for a long time now. There's some beautiful water stuff in this and Cinderella, actually. I... 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 There was improvement in Cinderella. I did not think that it qualified as beautiful. But, like, it flowed and it, they handled some degree of erraticness. But by comparison, Alice in Wonderland, which is just one movie prior, looked terrible. <laughs> the tears. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. Like, I, I assumed they weren't supposed to look like tears. They were supposed to look like, you know, a raging sea. Yeah, they didn't really know how to do that, did they? No. Like, water on a person's face doesn't look like that. That's a rough one. Anyway. Uh, one of the mermaids is clearly proto-aerial. Yep. I will die on that hill. And that means that at some point in her bloodline or lineage, Ariel was a little knifey. Oh my god, if you try and make this into a connected timeline theory, I will get a little knifey. I just like the idea of knifey Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> Where instead of a fork, she becomes uh, enchanted with hunting knives. <laughs> like a fucking Bowie knife. <laughs> <laughs> Found a dingle hopper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dingle your hopper. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, the sneaky bush, quite cute. <laughs> like the do 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 
do do do do with the uh with the raid on the yeah. Lost Boys. Like those those trees were yeah. very lovingly animated. Yeah, it's just a show about everything else surrounding that, uh, including another thing on my whatever land list, which was uh, the the description. Of the back and forthiness between the Indians and the Lost Boys was like, yeah, we just fight all the time. Sometimes they win and sometimes we win and we all just send our captives back to each other and like, (laughs) yep, that's how that goes, all right. That's, yep, it's definitely a conflict of two equal sides just having a good old rough housing time. Oh my fucking God. The way little kids played, that's how we do it. Uh... The whole movie does kind of have this repeated theme of Wow, being able to fly really does make every fight hilariously unfair, doesn't it? It does. Like I said before, Hook and Pan are very boringly mismatched characters. Victory through air power! (laughs) And yet, the other characters all become incompetent at flying as soon as they get back to Neverland, even while they still have some fairy dust going on. It does make you wonder... How does he get so much fairy dust? I assume he's just been exposed to it long enough that it's like he's become radioactive. It's like, that? He can't bestow it on other people the way that a real fairy can, but he has enough like fairy leached into him now that he can't get rid of it. I like to imagine that, I don't know if anyone else has ever had this experience, but I know someone whose cat, whenever it sneezed, would come over to him and put its face on his shoulder <laughs> and then sneeze. <laughs> Issue. Yeah, I don't like to imagine that's what Tink does. Brilliant. Like, anytime she used to clean something up, she's like, I'll wipe my hands on Peter. <laughs> I mean, I would if if I was so attached to someone who was also just a garbage person too. Just like, yeah, whatever. But I'm wiping my fairy ass on you from now on. <laughs> oh, yes. The point where we both audibly, where we both laughed out loud at, I'm sure Mother would be glad to have you. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. What what Victorian British mother wouldn't suddenly want six, seven, eight? Talon says eight extra children just descending from stinky, unwashed adventure boy land <laughs> and going, hey, woman, do shit for me. Yeah, we came here on the promise that mums make things better. Mm. Your problem now. Wendy, we need to talk. <laughs> It looks like I'm going to only have two children left. Don't you mean three, mother? I said what I said. <laughs> See, once again, this all would have been solved if they'd taken the dog. Which is a genius and deserves to live in Neverland. True. And a dog never growing up is a net positive thing. Yep. Because all dogs deserve to live forever. Yep. Uh, and they don't have a problem with with being shitty chucks. So... We may have actually seen two people just fucking die in this movie. Uh, who are you thinking of? The pirate that Hook hucked over the side, and the pirate that Hook shot in the chest. Why did they get shot? I don't remember that. The guy who was singing in the rafters? Oh, right! I forgot that guy. Hook just offhandedly shoots him, and Smee's like, oh, it's a very bad thing to shoot a man in his credenza. And like, I'm not a musical expert, but I think what he's saying there is he just fucking killed a guy. I think he's meant to imply that he shot the instrument. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's definitely Smee saying, well, I saw his parachute. (laughs) (laughs) But it it, it definitely adds to the, well, he's an idiot, but he's my idiot. He's so pretty. (laughs) Good lord. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Speaking 
Speaking of idiots and credences, he definitely had the pirates rehearse that number, right? He planned this. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> hmm. What shall I do when I finally find Peter Pan's troop? We'll persuade them to join our side with a brilliant song number. <laughs> we got to see a rare bit of animation trickery. Yeah, what's that? We got to see animated backgrounds. See, for anyone who's familiar with the animation at this time, the backgrounds were almost always painted objects and the characters moving around in them were on cells. That's why they had that distinctly different set of colorations. It's very hard for drawing techniques that work on one medium to work well on the other. And that's something that Disney kind of deliberately worked with. Like, very intentionally, the backgrounds in these have this very grand kind of coloration and painting. Uh, this is why the rock that turns out to be a hippo's nose looks different to all the other rocks in the river. In the fight with Hook, there are two different points where the background painting gets changed. Oh boy, I was not paying enough attention to even notice that. Hook swings a sword and chops, and there is a juddering shake, and one of those frames, the background changes to show a big chopped tooth missing out of the, out of the, uh, um, uh, 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 of the, the mast. And then when Peter darts around it and Hook swings again with his hook, you get another big juddery shake, and then the background painting is changed so that now that there is a big gouge in the side of the mast. This, you know, that is, that is on a technical level, that is genuinely unnecessarily impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I would call it that. <laughs> it's for a one second exchange. You see that for a moment and then you're done. Well, yeah, but it's the hiding it with jiggling that's really the, uh, like, that's the artistry here. Otherwise, they just animate stuff that they need to, otherwise they just, you know, sell paint stuff they need. Yeah. Like, uh, Rhino in the, uh, field. Good point. Which, I don't know if there was also a hippo in a river, because if there was, then they did the same bit twice. They did. Back to back. (laughs) Cool. Cool, cool. Yep, great. (laughs) Since you bring it up. Uh. One last thought. All animals are dogs. Uh, the crocodile sure does sit up and beg, lick its lips, wag its tail. Holy crap! <laughs> That's a lot of dog in this crocodile. I mean, it's a malicious predator dog, but, uh, you know, they still wanted to make it cute, so it's still a dog. <laughs> yep. Man, that's actually really cool. I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's not a, as, uh, it's not as unintentional. As it usually is. Like, normally all animals are dogs is a case of people not knowing or caring how non-dogs communicate with humans. Uh, whereas in this, I think it was very deliberate. Like, wouldn't it be funny if the crocodile, you know, licked its lips and wagged its tail and did dog things? Because, I mean, the crocodile's not really a villain. It's kind of a hero. It depending is... on how you look at it. Depending on how you look at it. It's an instrument of violence that Peter doesn't have to enact. <laughs> Shruggo. It is, which, as we all know, is is one of the most useful tools in any Disney movie. A force of violence that can't be attributed directly to the main character. Yep. So now we've been on a grand adventure, and we've seen different lands and London from on high. But you know what the greatest adventure is? What is the greatest adventure, Father? Capitalism! Oh. Want to talk about box office take? Yeah. So... Sure. Do I even want to hazard a guess on this? I don't think I do. 
I feel like it might have been cheaper than Alice, because Alice was a real ballooning budget for the time. Mm-hmm. So you're saying it's going to be cheaper than Alice, and what do you reckon its take was like? Uh, well, that's got to be higher than Alice, though, I think, because Alice was hilariously low. Yeah, Alice was a failure. If they had two Alices back to back, they were fucked. Yeah. So you're saying around Alice's money made more back? Uh, yeah. Well, I believe I did predict that it was less than Alice. Alice went up to like three million or something, didn't it? Like, mm-hmm. that was a really expensive movie. And it's not like this looks cheap. I, I just, you know, I feel like they wouldn't have wanted to spend more than that. This movie cost four million to make. Wow, that's so much money. And it made 17 million. Yeah, I fucking bet it did. In its 1982 re-release, it made 29 million. In its 1989 re-release, and in 1953, it made $40 million, proving once and for all that nobody from the 50s had any fucking taste. <laughs> Hang on, fucking $40 million in its original- Oh my god. Its original run, it made ten times its budget. So I was right in saying it made more than Alice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call that a win, and nothing else I said can be held against me. They re-released it in 1982, and it made 17 million in theaters, and then they re-released it again in 1989, and it made 29 million. But 29 million in 1989 money—it's a fuckload. That is absolutely a fuckload. But it is a much, much smaller fuckload than 40 million in 1953. Yeah, that's so much back then money. Uh, consider at that point you could get a house for 130 dollars furnished. <laughs> yeah. Um. The the uh. God, I wonder if they had difficulty selling the cost of that because that's so much money to spend on an animated movie at that point. Probably, especially if they'd already seen Alice kind of flop a bit. <laughs> um. And you know, oh, you're bringing us you're bringing us a beloved childhood classic novel that you personally feel very emotionally invested in. Do you, Walt? Once again. Once again, we are adapting a Victorian English children's novel uh, to your 50s American sensibilities, are we, Walt? Yeah. Once again, we have a precocious girl child wandering through a stupid make-believe world, do we, Walt? Ah, but this one has a boy who is also a butthole. I guess that'll make all the difference. And a lot of racism. But we can sell the racism. Now, go get me a glass of cigarette. Oh, boy. It feels like an injustice, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, I don't like Alice, but there's so much less wrong with Alice than there is wrong with this. Alice's book oh. is less creepy. Alice's book is more interesting. This book... This, this is... Alice in Wonderland includes the best bits of Alice in Wonderland, more or less. This drops the two best bits of Peter Pan. That's fair. Also, way better song. Yeah. Like... I'm, once again, I'm not especially attached to the songs in Alice, but by Christ, they're better than the songs in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, what? Ah! Mmm! The best song in this was Never Smile at a Crocodile, and it's not in the movie. No. It's just a motif for the fucking crocodile. Yar. And with that, I think after the racism, the misogyny, the abandonment, and the fucking death, I think we're done with Peter Pan. I think we can be done with Peter Pan. Now, can I remember what comes next? I want to say we might be due for Lady and the Tramp next? Yeah. Yeah! I, look, the, okay, it's got less racism. It's only, it's one, one specific bit of racism, and then we can move on, okay? (laughs) 
battle. Do that again. <laughs> we can just start again if you want. <laughs>